0: All right, we're live. Matthew, we're continuing in chapter 2, and we should get into chapter 3 today. But to review chapter 1, um, we've learned so far the three major three themes. Jesus is the culmination of the Old Testament. Start, it starts right off with the, uh, the genealogy, the line of the 42, those three sets of 14 that we, we looked at. And not only that, that genealogy includes Gentiles. No one is to be left out. Not only that, it includes women. And that's a different thing for Jewish thinking of the day. Um, and the idea, the idea begins in Matthew chapter 1. The presence of God and, the pre- and what it means for salvation for us cannot be known apart from Christ, outside of Christ. And uh, this symbol here is Christ. It's the key row. It's the first two letters of Christ. In the Greek, and actually Ray's got it on his belt buckle, um, the key row. So if you ever see that symbol, it's actually in a couple different places in the church. You'll see it sometimes on the pyramids, but that's, the, that's an age-old symbol for Christ. It actually dates back to um, the time of Christ, because that was the, the language that the Bible was written in. Um, but again, major, major theme that we're going to see this continue throughout chapter 2 again Uh, that to the Jews and Gentiles, this is for everyone. No one is left out. And he speaks to a Jewish audience. He's talking about, brings up prophecy a lot. He even quotes Old Testament time and time again. And uh, we began to learn in chapter two. Well, now we have this contrast of two kings. We've got this Herod who's powerful and rich. He's a king not chosen by God. and we have the contrast of Jesus, poor, lowly, um, in need of support, in need of in need of the gifts, the family is in need of the gifts of the magi, which God provided to the family of Jesus and we'll see as we go through the rest of chapter two God takes action. God does not just sit back and watch God intervenes to make sure that um, his will is done, his, his plan for salvation, his plan for That he started uh, since the fall of Adam, since the times of the Old Testament. So with that, we'll turn to Matthew. And we left off on verse 13. So if anybody, uh, one question actually that came up last week. I can't remember who was talking about it. Maybe it was Tom that was here last week. Why were the Magi headed to Jerusalem in the first place? And I thought, you know, that's kind of a good question. Let me look at it. Because it's not very clear in Scripture. All it says is uh, there was a star that rose, and they went toward it. So do we know? We know that magi at the time, we know that astronomy, astrology, whatever you have it, um, pagan astronomy, whatever you want to call it, uh, was much bigger than it is now. Why? Well, what else were they going to do at night? No smartphones, no TV, no newspapers, nothing else, no radio. No. They had to sing their own music. The stars were there. So if there was a star out of place, they would notice it. It's just It goes to show that somebody was paying, for, paying attention to it, and these magi must have known something of the Old Testament Scriptures because the Old Testament Scriptures had already... The entire Old Testament had already permeated that entire area for 700 years, so the Old Testament was a matter of of knowledge. They knew about it, and they saw a star and they followed it. What else is behind that? Well, I don't know. What we do know is that God was involved. God takes action, and we and we learn that in Matthew. So we'll continue with the. Uh, how Jesus and Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt, and how God directs his plan for salvation away from danger. So let's start out by reading uh, 13, 14, and 15, chapter 2. Whoever would like to. All right. So thank you. So we begin, um, we, we continue this, I'll call it a, it's a formula really, because in the original language in Greek, this formula is repeated. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. This was to fulfill the prophecy. So in that verse 15, this was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken is something repeated from earlier in chapter two. Then if you look at verse 17, take a glance at verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And then jump down again to verse 23. And he went and lived a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. Now, remember how I explained Matthew and the Jews. Jews, rabbis, Pharisees, and Sadducees, as we'll see in chapter 3, They all knew the scripture very, very well. They they knew it, they they had memorized many parts of scripture. So is it really necessary for Matthew to say, this was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son? No, Jews had studied this and knew it and they had expected it. Um, This whole whole, uh, narrative, these three sections we're about to go through, um, should bring to mind to a Jew, this automatically, but wh- so why does Matthew say this? For the Gentiles, for the Gentiles, for the Gentiles. Um, many of the many of the um, the Gospels do this. Uh, John does this a lot. He kind of does a step aside and says, "Here's a side note. By the way, this is why this is, and this is what Matthew is doing for for the sake of." For the sake of all people, not just for the Jews. All right. So, God intervenes and escape from danger. Verses 16, 17, and 18. Whoever would like to read.
1: According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more.
0: Yeah, so this is what you may have heard before referred to as the slaughter of the innocents. And there is some of this that begs the question. I mean, we all love kids, right? I mean, I have five kids, so I must love kids. Most of them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, what, what happened to these kids? They were slaughtered. They were in it. They were. They were innocent. Um, they're under the jurisdiction of their parents. So, what happened to these two-year-old kids? Well, we're going to learn that later in Matthew. There's an important, important key in Matthew, and it starts here. Um, not only does it include Jews, Gentiles, men, women, but we'll see how it also includes infants. And I alluded to that a little bit last time. but um, we'll, talk about that. we'll talk about that when we get to that, because chapter 3, we're going to start to learn about um, John the Baptist, baptism. Jesus baptism, and our baptism. All right, we'll move on to. We'll go through the rest of it. Actually, verses nineteen to twenty-three. And get to go home. But when Herod died, behold, an angel
1: of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, "Rise, take the child." For those who sought the child's life were dead, and he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. How far did you say? All the way to the end, 23. Okay. But when he heard that Barclayus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth
0: that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called the Nazarene. Yeah, and there we have uh, the same uh, prophecy fulfillment that's been repeated. Um, overall, these sections we read, because we've got the mean, nasty Herod, kills, kills little children, um, all the male children under two years old. So we, we read this on the surface as... Uh, The life of Jesus was in trouble from several threats, um, especially the threat of Herod. Herod. We see that this was to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament. What can we get from this for for ourselves? Well, we can be comforted by the fact that, number one, God intervenes. God has providence. God is not the clockmaker who makes the clock and stands back and watches it run. Um, God is involved in our lives. Um, we also know that God foreknows all things. He, know, he, he knows what's, he, he what's going to happen, and we don't. Um, we can make this comparison. You know, it, it's, it's difficult to wrap our mind around. God knows, God knows the future, but we don't. But here's why we can be glad of that. Um, if I knew... The day I was going to die. Let's say it's June 15th, 2023. Let's say I knew that. God reveals to me, here's the day you're going to die. How then would I go about my life until June 15th, 2023? I got a bucket list. I got stuff I want to do. I got stuff I want to do. I become my own God. I even will idolize that day. What am I going to do the day before? What am I going to do the day off? What am I going to do two days before? What am I going to, how am I going to spend time with, with my family? It's all about what I do. So there's a, benefit in, uh, there's a benefit in mysteries. There's a benefit in not understanding the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. There's a benefit in not understanding Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. For example... God, we have any pictures of Jesus in here? Wow, we're in a church. We've got no pictures of Jesus in here. What does Jesus look like?
1: That's why we don't have a picture of Jesus.
0: That's why we don't. <laughs> if we knew, if the Bible told us what Jesus looked like, and we could render it in a painting or a drawing, what would we do with that painting or drawing? We'd idolize it. Yeah. We'd set it up on the, we set it up on the uh, uh, on the altar and in every pew in church, and it would be all about what Jesus looked like, and it would be less about what Jesus has done—dying for us, being born for us, salvation for us. So, mysteries can be a good thing, and that, that is part of our faith. Um, All right, I was going to get into the providence of God. But this idea of God being involved, the power of God, the foreknowledge of God, God using bad guys for his own will, this is nothing new. God used used the hardened heart of Pharaoh to deliver his people through the Red Sea. Um, Other mysteries we have, too, the body and blood, in, with, and under, the bread and wine. If we knew how that worked, we would kill ourselves as scientists trying to figure it out. Um, if the Bible explained how, that, how bread and wine is also the body and blood. And why is it? Well, because Jesus says it is. This is my body. This is my blood. How about baptism? What if we understood how the Word of God added to water washes away our inherited sin. Um, we would try and analyze it. We would idolize it. it would, we'd have a whole college of science just for that stuff, just to try to make it better. Or trying to make it, there you go, or trying to make it better. How can we improve on what the Bible tells us? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. There is also... Um, a school of thought on the book of Matthew with where we're at it begins in work two. There is a school of thought that Jesus is the new Moses. Um, I, I, I would say here's, here's, here's a better truth. Jesus may be a type of Moses because Moses, through the word of God, um, by the power of God, delivered his people, redeemed his people. He gave salvation to his people. Jesus is the Word made flesh. So it, it's part of that, if you remember from the first week, remember I did the staircase thing? So that, Jew, so that Jewish concept of time is not point A to point B. It's more like a spiral staircase. Yeah, I recognize, okay, um, the Red Sea is parted and people were delivered through water. And then we, we circle around, and we start to go through Scripture, then we get to the Jordan River. The Jordan River and people are delivered then we go circle around scripture then we get to Naaman who washes seven times and is cured of leprosy okay it's a type now now there's there's something to this water thing and that's what we'll get to in chapter three too um yeah yeah it's made clearer and clearer for us you know the the the, the three parts of the genealogy that starts with abraham um that ends with jesus draws is basically an outline of that an outline of that scene picture and it is cloudy um, to a point and then it's made very clear to us as we walk through matthew especially but then it kind of gets cloudy again. What do we know about heaven? What about the future? What do we know about heaven? God created it, and it's going to be great to be there. <laughs> God created it. God created the earth. And it's corrupted right now. Yeah. So. But he's, he's, he's made
1: it for us to be our... our uh, Garden of Eden. And we know the Garden of Eden mm-hmm.
0: is being beautiful and without sin. A new heaven and a new earth. No tears. No sin. No sadness. Can we even possibly imagine what that's like? No. What if we did know exactly what, was, what heaven was like? Well, then we go back to that mystery problem, right? We try to figure that mystery out. We try to demystify mysteries. That, that's, that's in our human sinful nature. All right, move on now, because we're getting into the yeah, bad. Look how we've we messed up creation. You know, now it's
1: evolution, and the Big Bang, and I mean,
0: they have they yeah. come up with... Instead of the truth that was told to us by a creator, by an authority, it's now the truth that we try to figure out. And that's when that's when we get in trouble. And we try to apply our brain to scripture, rather than pray that scripture comes to us with the with the Holy Spirit. Um, all right. So I want to look at something different. The very last verse of Matthew two twenty three, and the very first <laughs> I love this. and the very first verse of chapter three. Read along with me. I'll read it out loud. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called the Nazarene. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Okay. There's a word in the original language that's not in your English translation. And I know I've talked about the chapter breaks of Scripture. Those chapter breaks are invented by man. In fact, there is, there's not even uh, the only punctuation in the original Greek is a question mark, and the question mark is actually a semicolon. So there's another word in here that's not in the English, and it's and. So let me read it again and think of this as this a continuing story. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called Nazarene. And in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So, this denotes a, 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 a continuation. Those are just the... I just wrote that to see if I could still write in Greek. But, Kai and death. This one has the word death. Death in Greek denotes a... It's a continuing story. It should be joined to the verse before it. This, this, is, this happens a lot in Scripture. Um, so Jesus went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So we just enclosed in verse 23 the life of Jesus from age two until age 3. In those days, and we know John the Baptist was only is it three months older or six months older. It's terrible. I can't remember the magnificat. I think it's three. They're, they're, they're the same age. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So, John the Baptist, how long was he preaching? And that's the point I'm at. <coughs> it could be six months. Um, it could be ten years. You know, at what age did John the Baptist start, start preaching? We don't know. It's not told to us. But this is a continued part of the narrative in Matthew. Now, where is Judea? I'm going to draw my terrible Israel drawing. Got the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River. Right about here is Jerusalem. I know it's smaller. I don't have much room. So Jerusalem's just northwest of the Dead Sea, near the Jordan. Judea is this area? It is between a mountain and the Mediterranean Sea. It is on the very edge of the Fertile Crescent. Have you guys ever heard of, you guys heard of the Fertile Crescent? Well, the, the Fertile Crescent in that area that starts that starts way down here in Israel, goes up and around. And this is where you can actually farm. Everything in here is desert. So he's down here, southwest of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in between Judea and the Jordan River, where this where this baptizing is taking place. So he's leading people to that. Um, We don't know how long he was preaching. But what was he preaching? Verse 2. Who would like to read verse 2? Chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is such a fully loaded... This has so much to it. That simple, short verse. Repent. Repent. What's the meaning of repent? To be sorry for your sins, because there's a reason behind it. To recognize your sins. To recognize. Recognize your sins, repent of your sins, confess your sins. This is what it quite literally means. Quite literally, it means to, to turn your own mind going along with something else. If I turn my own mind to go along with the word of God that tells me I'm a sinner, then the effect is repent. So to, um, and this is what it quite literally means in the, in the original language, to go along with, it's metanoia. Um, and what is this going along with? So Repent. Change your own mind to go along with the kingdom of heaven. There's a reason why Matthew was making such a stark contrast between two kings before. Now, this kingdom of heaven sounds like a thing. It sounds like a place, right? Um, Greek's a funny language. I don't. I, I, this is why. In in sermons and stuff, this you can't really preach Greek because it's Greek. Um, the better way of thinking this is: it's actually a verb. It's not a noun. The kinging, or the reign kingdom in Greek is not a word. It's the, it's the king or the reign. The reign is the more English word. So there's an action. It's not just a kingdom. It's not just a place. Um, so this is the reign of heaven is near. Change your mind going along with the king of heaven. Um, at hand. I told you there was a lot to this. At hand is the English way we say it. At hand. The original is a little bit longer. It's gonna take me a second. Isn't it? At hand is how we say it in our American English. Has come to stand near. Change your mind towards the, ki- the reign of heaven. Because the reign of heaven has come to stand near. What's the difference? At hand means it's here now. Has come means it already came and it's still here. This is uh, something that comes out in our scripture to us quite a bit. It's a change of, I know they don't teach, I didn't know English grammar. They didn't teach me that. when I, was, I went to public school. English grammar wasn't even taught. I know years ago it was. I didn't learn English grammar until Greek class, actually. Um, but there's a big difference. Being it's here now. But John the Baptist is telling us it's already here. It has come to stand near the king, the the reign of heaven. He who is in charge. Um, So verse one and two, John the Baptist came preaching in Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is a call to conversion. And these are, these are hard words when people are called to um, repent for the king of heaven is here because Many things that we, many things that they thought about God, heaven, going to temple, going to synagogue, were wrong. They were adding all their own rules to it. Um, so for us, it, it might be, uh, imagine, imagine if I had to go into a, into a non-Christian church and calling for them to repent. That, how would that go over I'd have things thrown at me, I'm sure. Faith is strong. Faith, faith is a strong thing. Verse 3. Who would like to read? Go ahead, go ahead and read verse 3. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. And make free paths for him. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight couple comments on this. Here we are again fulfilling of the prophecy in Old Testament. Um, even in I even in Isaiah.
1: I Bible has Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah.
0: Yeah, there's different because it talks about the way of the Lord. Um, yeah, very true. The way to think of this, this the word for way is the same thing as saying main street. So when there was um Like the region of, is it the region of Philippi? Or what's the main street? I don't know what the main street in Parkersburg. In Vienna, it's Grand Central. Um, Prepare the Grand Central of the Lord. That's the main way. Could the Lord get through there on a Friday afternoon? Probably not, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's crazy over there. Um, So John is if you want to think of it this way. I don't know if this is a good or bad allegory, but John's the street sweeper. He's the cleaning one. John the baptizer. To baptize is to clean.
1: Pastor, we had a children's sermon one time where we were, and they talked about John the Baptist, a flashlight when you're searching for someone. He's the flashlight ahead of the floodlight coming. That's Jesus. The the
0: That's another way. Sure, sure. And... John is actually preparing in a way that he doesn't quite yet understand because Jesus is about to be baptized and John admits, I don't get it. You're the one that should be baptizing me. So to baptize, the word baptize itself is to, uh, to clean thoroughly, not like washing your hands, more like a surgeon scrubbing before surgery, but yet it also includes the soul because you're What's on the other side? You're repenting, changing your mind and realizing your sin. And can anyone here thoroughly scrub the stains of sin from your soul? No, none of us. All right, verse 4. Wild and crazy guy. Now, I thought, now I was actually studying this a couple days ago. And I thought about this, and I know there was a reference to it. Because Elijah in 2 Kings, um, same outfit. Come on, 2 Kings 1 7 and 8. I'll read it quick. Said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things, asking about Elijah? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And the other guy said, It is Elijah, the Tishbite. So one guy describes him, and the other guy says, Oh, yeah, that's Elijah. John is a recognizable guy. When I walk into a hospital, I accidentally walked into an ICU once. I was somewhere I didn't belong, but because I was recognizable in my profession, nobody said a word. But also, you know, there's another side of that. During this pandemic we've had, when nobody can get in anywhere and you can't go visit anybody in the hospital, as long as they deemed I was essential to the care of a person, I was able to, I was able to do it. Granted, I would wear a mask and get the temperature taken and wash my hands 10 times. And, but um, so John is not only acting in true humility, but he's also somebody that's recognizable because we learned that from Elijah. It's that same thing. We're starting to recognize Old Testament. Verse 5. All right, good. So if we think of that map again, uh, Judea was not near the Jordan River, that, that entire area of Judea. So we have this little word in verse 5, then, this denotes a, this is what happened next. Then Jerusalem and all Judea went, went to the Jordan, they're going out to him, being baptized by him in the river Jordan. Confessing their sins. This brings us to the reason for John's baptism. It's stated very plainly. Confessing their sins. Admitting your stained sinful state as a person. Before, remember we're preparing the way for the Lord. Before the true soul cleaner comes. The true forgiveness comes. Um, And this these past three verses really are the overview of his ministry. He was recognizable. They came to him. He even changed places going from the Judea somewhat wilderness farmland to the Jordan. They came to him and they confessed their sins. What was the original thing that happened for them to lead them such, you know, traveling 50 miles back then was not like 50 miles now. 50 miles back then was about three days. Um, But what started it all? What's the first thing we're told John did? He preached. The word of God went to the people. They followed him. They went to confess their sins. The word of God, again, it's it's doing something. The word of God does not fall empty. Um, So this is a prelude of things to come. It also, it's a prelude of church. It's a prelude of Jesus' ministry in Matthew. Before Jesus fed the 5,000, he had compassion on them. And in the same sentence, then he began to teach. Jesus gives you his word. And that's how, that's how, that's how faith is initiated. Um, All right. Verse, we want to do more than seven. Verse
1: 7 and 8. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Ruth of the vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come,
0: therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. All right, so repentance we learn early on that it includes the fruit of repentance. Um, but once he, he names it, the Pharisees and Sadducees and you brood of vipers, he names them all as one single group. Pharisees are the high teachers of Jews. The Sadducees were more of a political organization and they did not believe in life after death. Pharisees did. So the, the Sadducees, resurrection? No. Life after death? No. We die. That's it. We live a godly life while we're here. And that's it. And that's how, that's how they drove their pile. He, John groups them all together. You brood of vipers. And this bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So if you claim repentance and yet go back to the sin with nothing bearing on your conscience. Now when I repent of my sins, let's say, say I'm sorry for being angry. I get angry. I think everybody gets angry even in their own mind. So well, that's murder. That's, that's the fifth commandment. And I get angry and I repent. I'm sorry. Um, my sins are forgiven. I receive the body and blood. My sins are forgiven. My faith is built. And I go out and I get angry again. If that doesn't bear on my conscience, there is no fruit. If it bears on my conscience and I, and I say, Dear God, help me live a better, lo- better life, Create in me a clean heart, O God, as we sing in the Offertory. Um, But if you claim repentance and yet go back to the sin with a clean conscience, um, that faith is dead. So this kind of ties in with James a little bit, too. As we're learning on Sunday with James, um, that faith is is, is not alive at all. All right, verse 9. How are we doing on time? Good. This is, a, this is a direct jab to, uh, to the Jews, um, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the brood of vipers, because they're standing around wondering, you know, what's this John guy about, because he's got crowds. There is a new exodus coming. Um, Abraham led to Moses, led to, ex- led to the exodus, which led to the deliverance to the promised land. Um, stones, why would he say stones? Well, it's kind of like you guys were talking about stones before, you know, um, can we make stones alive? No. Can the creator make stones alive? Yeah. Even God is able, even able from these stones to raise up the promised children for Abraham as numerous as the stars, as numerous of the grains of sand. John's, uh, Basically, John the Baptist is basically saying, God doesn't need you. He does as he pleases to achieve his desire. He's been proving it already in the first two chapters. And he doesn't have to have this particular line of Israel. He does not need high priests. God saves who he wills. We see this also with the thief on the cross. You know, was the thief on the cross baptized? Maybe, maybe not. Might even say probably not. But God desires to save who God desires to save. Otherwise, we wouldn't be calling him God. It'd be God with a little g. Um, So we have this denunciation of Hebrew leaders. And then we have this uh, verse 10. We'd like to read verse 10. Yeah, this is referring right back to verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, judgment continues for fruitless ones, for those who do not repent and change their mind. Um, all right, verse 11 and 12. Let's read those together.
1: His wheat into the barn. With a shaft, he
0: will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, and from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. The living faith, the living faith ones, and the dead faith ones. So this Holy Spirit and fire, this fire is not a reference to, to baptism, nor is it a bath, nor is it a reference to Pentecost. This is a reference to the last day, the day that is yet to come, the day of judgment. When he returns in glory, there will be judgment on the brood of vipers, whether they are atheists or Buddhists or Muslims, whoever denies Christ. Uh, And this baptizing with the Holy Spirit for those who have have live faith in Christ, um, it's the completion of baptism. Baptism is first promised to, promised to us in the hearing of the word. It's also promised to us when the word is added to water, that we have it, that we have that, that seal placed upon us. That begins baptism. That begins the process of being made holy, the process of sanctification. Um, that is made complete on the last day, when we return to our bodies as they were before sin when we return to the, the Eden, the new heaven and the new earth. Um, in fact, John the Baptist is fulfilling this past prophecy and at the same time correctly prophesying what is later written in Revelation and what happens on the last day. Um, John is is showing as a fulfillment of prophecy and prof- prof- prophesying later. He is called by God. He's not just this wild and crazy preacher who came out of the woods raised by wolves that shoves his hand in the bee's nest to get something to eat. John is a called and ordained preacher, called and ordained directly by God. We even learn about that in the book of Luke when John jumps for joy in the womb in the presence of the Lord. All right, I know we moved quickly through that, but there was a reason for that, because this, this, this is really good. All right, the baptism of Jesus. So we learn 1 through 12, preaching and baptizing repentance. Repent, change your mind to know the ways of God, know that you are a sinner, and be baptized. Now you're confessing. So now there's people that have confessed and do they know they're forgiven? Do they know that yet? Well, John's preparing the way. So here comes Jesus. So let's first read, I think this is important. Let's read verses 13 through 17. I'll read this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a, like a dove and coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am pleased. To start off with, verse 13, then Jesus. This is the first mention of the name Jesus since chapter 2, verse 1. You'd think, the, you'd think there'd be more mention of, of, of the one coming, but this is the first mention. This is, a, this is kind of where a chapter break should be. This should be chapter 3 or chapter 2 or chapter 4. Then Jesus came from Galilee, Jordan, John, to be baptized. John says to him, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. <laughs> and, it's, and it's really funny. He actually, there's an emphasis, there's an unnecessary additional word in the original Greek that is written by the, by the Apostle Matthew. He actually says, I need to be baptized by you, you, and do you come to me? There's actually three, three U's in there. It doesn't sound good in English. So uh, uh, translators didn't, didn't include that in there. There's a big emphasis on this you. You, John the Baptist is confessing, Jesus, you are the one I've been preaching about. You, you, you. It's, it's, there is the additional you in there, but it's in there for a reason. It's emphatic. It's emphatic. John knew who Jesus was, confessing, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. You are the one per- that, that I've been preparing the way, making the way straight. And Jesus answered them in verse, uh, in verse 15, let it be so now. Um, It's more a closer translation. A closer one is actually allow it at this time. Kind of, it means the same thing. It's just our English uh, translation of it. Let it be so now. Allow it at this time. For thus it is fitting, fitting for us, (laughs) that's a lot of F's, fitting for us. To fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Um, Notice he doesn't say, it's fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. This is for us. Jesus says, me and you, John. John, you've been doing your fulfilling. I'm going to do some fulfilling too. Now it's time for us to fulfill together all righteousness. This is being carried out by John and Jesus. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. We've talked about the word behold before. When, when the scripture says behold, pay extra attention to what it says after that. There is a, not only the fulfillment of Jesus being baptized, the reason why we'll talk about it in a little bit is not only the fulfillment, but then there's, a, there's an opening. Here comes something more. What is this something more? Verse 17. We've got the Son, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and now the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Why is this a big deal? Who's all there? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one place. Righteousness being fulfilled. What else about this baptism? If somebody comes to me and says, I'd like to have my baby baptized. We just had a baby a couple weeks ago. Fantastic. Great. Let's talk about how we can do that. We'll do it in the church service in a couple Sundays or something. And I've heard this before. No, 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 no. I don't want to do it in public. I don't want to do it in church. Can't you just come to my home and baptize? Baptism is a public proclamation. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This baptism was public and proclaimed as so to the whole world. Furthermore, If you want to know what God's will is, if you want to know where God's heart is, He just told you. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Nothing, salvation cannot be found apart from Jesus Christ. This continues that. Furthermore, what is God's will? If somebody would please turn to Matthew 17, verse 5. It doesn't get clearer than this. 17, verse 5. I love this connection. This is one of my favorite connections in the Bible. says the same exact words i know you have a different translation that's fine this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased listen to him it all starts what is the will of god listen to my son in other places in scripture the will of god is to believe in him whom he has sent listen to jesus believe in jesus the will of god is your salvation how is that achieved Listen to him. Listen to him. I love that. That's a whole sermon right there. Uh, All right. Jesus, the son of God, the holy, perfect, divine son gets baptized by John. Why? To
1: fulfill the the whole purpose for it. John was... He wanted to make it... Be that so everyone knew that
0: it was something they needed to do. Okay, by, so leading by example. That's a small part. But John, John the Baptist, was preaching a sermon, teaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent your sins. Admit you're a sinner. Jesus isn't a sinner. So what's going on? taking our place. He's standing in our place. This is the same thing that he does on the cross. No. No. Make me the sinner. Or, uh, so, no, not make me the sinner. Make me. <laughs> I'm the one that's going to take judgment for sin. That is the biggest, that is the, There's there's other reasons, but The key reason of Jesus being baptized is to stand in your place. To stand in the place of sinner. sinner. This is the beginning of the humiliation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ um, was first, he was born man. He was born into a world of sin. Born perfect. This humiliation is, uh, now he's going to stand in place. He's going to take punishment that he doesn't deserve. That's mercy for us. Um, And then we're going to get what we don't deserve. That's grace for us. This is uh, the primary reason. Plus, we know what happens right after the baptism of Jesus. You can peek if you want.
1: He goes into the
0: desert to be tempted. Immediately cast out in the wilderness to be tempted. Fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Could he have fed himself? Well, sure, he's God. Jesus is God. So, one other reason. This is there. There's many. There's a lot that goes with this. This is one of the most studied texts in all Scripture. But there is another reason, and it kind of goes to what you said, Gladys. Has to go with uh, by leading by example. How is Jesus leading by example? He's being baptized. By by a guy that probably hasn't taken a bath in 30 years. By a lowly preacher. How does this set an example for us today? Well, if, I don't know, who's a rich guy? Who's a really rich guy? What's what's our governor's name? Baby dog? No, he's not. (laughs) You'd think he was. If Jim Justice walks in, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of money. He could really sustain us here for quite a while, right? If he walks in, he says, you know, I've never been baptized, pastor. I want to be baptized. I'm coming to faith. I've heard the word. I'm a sinner. I want to repent. I want, I want to be baptized by the word of God. Okay. Okay. Here's how we can do that. And He says, okay. Sounds good. How long have you been a pastor? Seven weeks. Oh, no, no, no. I want somebody who's been a pastor for 20 years. I want the pastor who's driving a Cadillac. I want the pastor. No, I want that pastor's boss. I want the head of your entire church organization. Because then and only then will it be effective. But Jesus, as an example, baptized by a lowly preacher. Can you baptize somebody? It's actually if it's necessary. If it constitutes an emergency, um, it is super rare. But a classmate of mine had to do it a few years ago. He was on his vicarage, I believe it was Iowa. Um, His supervising pastor was not available. The vicar was in the NICU, the NICU. Uh, Baby was not gonna make it. Um, The parents wanted him to be baptized. Their pastor was hours away, maybe on vacation, I don't know. And he baptized them, right then and there, with an eyedropper and a bubble. Dear so-and-so, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What also happens after that is you come back here and you you actually will make a statement in the service that you baptized in the name of the Triune God. Um, But that is, why, why can you do it? Because it's not the power of the pastor. It's the the word. It's not just the mere water either. God can also add his word to water for judgment. Look at Noah's Ark. God God also adds his word to water for our judgment and our baptism. And what is that judgment? When he looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. You are baptized into Christ. Because Christ, being baptized, stood in the place of your judgment. And he began to teach us this day exactly how he's going to do it. And he'll do it many other ways as we go through Matthew. Um, but that's, it's a, we will begin to also, as we go through Matthew, we'll begin to connect this to our baptism at the end of Matthew the famous words, uh, go therefore um, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all have I commanded you to do and I am with you to the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Um, This is a beginning of something. Christ standing in our place. Christ standing in our judgment place. Um, Pretty neat. I'm trying to think there's one other part how are we on time? Well, we started 10 after, right? And it's 10 after now. I'm not letting you have that 10 minutes.
1: <laughs>
0: there is one other cool thing. So bear with me if you've got two or three minutes. If you don't, you need to go. It's fine, too. I'm going to show you something really, really neat. Really, really neat. All those dollars of seminary actually did something. Um, who knows poetry? Anybody here write poetry? No, no stuff about.
1: I remember some,
0: you know, some things about momentary. You know what a chiasm is? I'm sorry? A chiasm? Ah, uh, no. Okay. It's been too long ago. Jesus' baptism is written, Matthew wrote in the original Greek, in a form of a chiasm. This is a chiasm. Eight eight, eight ideas, eight things written that mirror each other. So, bear with me. Starts at verse 13 and goes through verse 16. Verse 13. Jesus appears to John. Again in verse 13. In order to be baptized, Verse 14, John tried to prevent him. Tried to say no. It's easier to write, say no. Verse 14, John says, I should be baptized by you. Now, before I get into the, the others... The reason why... By the way, the Gospel of Luke loaded with this stuff. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. The reason why the Gospel writers would write this way is not only for recognizability, but it's also for scriptural authority. Um, If somebody tried to change the words of the baptism of Jesus... Um, if somebody tried to change the words of the baptism of Jesus, it would be, all all of a sudden, the chiasm is messed up. So it's actually kind of a hidden signature. It's a hidden autograph. Luke does this all the time. What was Luke's profession? He's a doctor. He's a physician. He's a smart guy. He knew how to write. Matthew is a Jewish tax collector. But he's got, but he's got, but he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's got this in there. Now what the chiasm is, you see how it's got like a D check, C check, B check, A. I don't know what that if it's called check. D relates to D, C relates to C, and A relates to A. John says, I should be baptized by you. Jesus says. So This is where it turns around. It turns around at the words of Christ. Allow it. Let it be so, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness.
1: Um, Did
0: I say? Yeah, yeah. That's all. I was doing that for memory. So we've got the words of John, and then the response of Jesus. This is big in the Scripture too. When we read about miracles, when we read about parables or when other people come to Jesus and ask him something it, it, this is the turning point so this is this is definitely the best place for it so first John tried to say no then what is and then what is verse 15 say? well basically John allowed it. the word of God did something Christ the son of God said it instead of saying no John allowed. Jesus came to John in order to be baptized. This is after now. He was baptized. It's harder to see in the English, and it's also harder to see because we have verse numbers in there. But Remember in the original Bible, there weren't verse numbers. In fact, there aren't spaces. Paper was expensive. They just wrote. No spaces, no <laughs> punctuation. Um, it's pretty neat. And then verse 16, Jesus at once went up from the water. In other words, Jesus appeared. Jesus immediately came up from the water because immediately righteousness was fulfilled. So, as a review, then we'll close. John's baptizing of people was a repentant, was for the repentance of sins. Jesus being baptized was to stand in the place of the sinner, put the blame on me, put the judgment on me, not you. Um, this is the primary reason. Our baptism is what Matthew will develop as we go forward in a couple different ways, Uh, especially when he talks about, he says the word infant. So interesting stuff. Questions before we close? I love this chapter. Can you tell? I could sit here and talk for another hour about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, at the beginning of it, it said the crowds were coming to, coming to him at the Jordan to be baptized. You know, so was was there something going on there? Well, we can also say too, where Christ is, where two or three gathered, there Jesus is. Where Christ is, in Scripture, when you see different situations or houses that he's in and Christ is there you can always see reflections of church you can always see reflections of what goes on here on Sunday But uh, right right we'll see yeah we'll, we'll see how it explodes later on um and it and it, and it explodes because the word of Christ doesn't fall empty. It, it does not return to him empty. Um, it saves. Uh, and I don't wish to downplay, too. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That deserves a summary note, too. If you want to know what God's will is, if you want to know where, where, what God, where God's heart is, where God's love is, where God, how God is going to save you, it's right in those words. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He loves his son, and he's going to give him up unto death and raise him again in three days. All right, anything else? Since did not use the Father's
1: Son in the Holy you know,
0: that's a question that, that's come up a lot. Um, a valid baptism... Is a baptism that follows the direct command of Jesus in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Did was John's baptism like that? No. No. I mean, he even, he even admitted that. He admitted me, baptize you, you should be baptizing me. So, did those people need to be rebaptized? Well, that's a kind of a loaded question, because that's like saying. Baptism, <laughs> baptism is a is a thing, so it's not a necessity for salvation because, like the thief on the cross, God can save who He wants. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But is it, it it's it may not be a necessity to salvation, but it flows forth as a necessary fruit, especially for so w- when I started hearing the word of God, I was an adult. I was, was baptizing as an adult. I was converted to Christianity as, adult, as, as an adult. Um, if I were to say, no, nah, I don't want to be baptized, I'm good, then that faith did not take hold. Uh, that is also that that is a that is a fruit. Matthew 28 also teaches us, make disciples by baptizing and teaching. It doesn't say baptize, then teach. It doesn't say teach, then baptize. So we have to. We have to use our judgment with that, so the way we do it is with adults, we teach and baptize. Um, And with infants, we baptize and teach. Now, can an infant have faith? Oh, absolutely. We don't know how faith works. You know, can a baby in the womb have faith? Absolutely. Do we know how that works? Nope. No, The Holy Spirit works with groanings too deep for words. Uh, Can we say that aborted babies... Go to hell because they're not baptized? No, no. That that's not the God that we have. Um, we can't say anything for certainty, but then again, I can't say for certain if you're going to heaven, if you're going to heaven. And you can't say if I'm going to heaven. We don't know what's in the other person's heart. Um, so it'd be wrong to give a definite answer on something like that. Um, same thing for did they need to be rebaptized? God knows. And after I die, I'll go to be with Jesus. And I don't care if it's in a swamp or in heaven. If I'm with Jesus, I'm all right.
1: I always looked at baptism also as being a gift in God, in his words. And if you feel like he hasn't done the job, isn't that a wrong thing to
0: do? <laughs> well, and hear here, and here how, how it is a true gift and a true blessing. He demystifies a bit of the mystery for us. It's a mystery on how it works. But he takes something real that we know. He takes water. He takes bread. He takes wine. And he adds the power of the word, which is a mystery, to it, so that we can, we can literally feel the forgiveness. Um, but it goes beyond the senses of our body because it's also our soul. So, yeah, that's, baptism is a means of grace. And by means of grace, grace is forgiveness, and means is something tangible. Tangible. Uh, the bread, the, the body and blood, and, uh, you know, we all see it. You know, how, how do you feel when you see a baby being baptized up front, or you see anybody being baptized? You know, when I first started watching baptisms, I'm, I'm looking at, like, can I see any spirit coming to me? <laughs> I was very, that was in my early days as a Christian, but no, it works beyond our senses. Um, but it, but it's, it's done in a way that, in a means that we can see it. That's a gift. It's an absolute gift. It's a gift that we know, it's a gift what he has revealed to us, let alone the mysteries. All right. Now I'm really late. Any other questions, comments, anything? All right, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven,